Welcome to St James, a Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith, Edinburgh. This podcast features edited highlights from our hybrid Sunday service which was held on November the 7th, 2021. To find out how to join us online or in person, and for more general information, please go to stjamesleith.org.uk. joining us from home and I wonder can we have a, a gallery view Elspeth or perhaps Geoffrey I don't know who just to see who is there because it's nice for us to be able to see everybody there we go yay <laughs> hi everybody it's wonderful that you're joining us from far and wide from Oxford and uh, Winifred and Paul from Dumfries, Liz and Andrew from Carphead, thank you for coming. And thank you all for joining us here this morning. Uh, let's just have a moment of quiet as we begin our service. May the table be wide and the welcome be wide. May, May our arms open wide to gather the same. May our hearts open wide to receive. May we come as children who trust there is enough. May we come unhindered and free. May our aching be met and our sorrow be met with my
fighting mood this morning, everybody. <laughs> this is the weekend to fight. <laughs> okay. Uh, would you like to sit for our first prayer? Mother God, our refuge and strength, bring near the day when war shall cease and poverty and anger shall end, that our precious earth may know the peace and justice of heaven. Amen. And as we come to our time of confession, let's for a moment be silent, be still. Each one of us alone and empty before our God. Say nothing, ask nothing. Let your God look upon you. That is all. Together, trusting in God's forgiveness, let us in silence confess our fears. May God forgive us. Christ forgive us. And the Spirit enable us to grow in love. Amen. Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. The readings from Mark 1, 14 to 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, you O Christ. Christ.
God, open our ears and our mind to hear your word, to be willing to be changed and conformed into your thinking and your vision and your dream. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for the music group for those protest songs this morning, uh, because this morning what I'd like to try and do is to link up what's in the Bible to uh, the demonstrations yesterday in Glasgow and all around the country, the big sing in Edinburgh that many of you uh, were at, um, having your voices heard. And I'm going to sort of paint some very broad um, brush strokes, really, in terms of Bible teaching and in terms of the political um, systems uh, that we live in. Um, and I'm aware that it's very difficult to do that in such a short time, and it's probably a far more complex, um, but I think it gives us a kind of framework in which we can begin to link these uh, things together. So our Gospel reading comes from the early chapters of Mark, and I always find the early chapters in the Gospels are really important and fascinating, because they act like an overture in a, a classical piece of music or a piece of writing. They give us an idea of what's going to come, and they sound out the central themes of the Gospel, and that's exactly what Mark does in uh, chapter 1. So before I start, I want you to uh, imagine that you are with a friend who uh, isn't a Christian, uh, doesn't go to church, and they ask you, what is at the heart of the good news? What is at um, the heart of the gospel? And you need to answer that in a couple of sentences. So I'm just going to give you a few moments to think. I'm not going to put you on the spot. Don't worry. You don't need to uh, worry. But think honestly about how you might answer that question if somebody asks you it. Just give you a few minutes to think about how you might answer it. And I think for me... Uh, and for many Christians in the past, I've been taught something along the lines of this. Um, Jesus died for our sins so that we can be forgiven and we can then go to heaven. I don't know if anyone else has ever had that as a fundamental core uh, teaching. If you have, then uh, this isn't a criticism. It's, it's fairly, um, if you've been brought up in church, that's kind of the message that a lot of us have been given, with an emphasis on sin, forgiveness, the afterlife, and believing. But this is really not Mark's understanding of the good news. And this morning's reading, I think, is particularly important because it deals with Jesus' public, first public address, his inaugural address, uh, as it were. And I want to just kind of unpack uh, one, one line of it, which is, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe in the good news. So, you know, what is the kingdom of God? What does repent mean? What does believe mean? 
what is the good news. And clearly, and, and all, it's one of the few things that the scholars uh, agree in, is that central to the good news is the kingdom, or as Matthew Fox would call it, the queendom of God, which is not about life after death, but about life in, in this world. And the Jesus prayer that we pray makes this explicit. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And as the biblical scholar Dominic Crossan says, heaven's in great shape. It's earth where the problems are. And it's here that Jesus' focus is on earth. And the use of the word kingdom is an interesting choice as Jesus uh, could have used other words. He could have said the people of God, he could have said the community of God, but instead he uses the kingdom of God, which is loaded and uh, provocative because the kingdom uh, was the most common form of political organization at the time. Rome wasn't called the Empire of Rome, it was called the Kingdom of Rome, the Kingdom of Herod. So by using the word kingdom, Jesus is challenging and confronting the organizational system of his time. And that was characterized by a number of things. One, being economically exploitative, creating huge inequalities of wealth. The land, which was the primary means of wealth, uh, there was some fishing there, but the land was the primary way in which wealth creation was done, was owned by 2%, leaving many in abject poverty. And this system benefited a very small minority, a ruling elite, as it were, based at the courts of Herod, in the temple of Jerusalem, and a small aristocracy of landowners. Thirdly, it was politically oppressive, using the threat of violence to keep the peasant class under control. And the cross was uh, the ultimate. If you, uh, um, it was only reserved for people that went against the Roman, uh, were seen subversive to the Roman Empire. So Jesus died because he was subversive to the Roman Empire. That, that's really clear. Um, historians, scholars uh, would agree uh, to that. And fourthly, it was legitimized by religion and ideology. The kings ruled by divine right and therefore God was ultimately responsible for the social order. God created the social order. So Jesus' mission is far bigger than individual salvation so that we can go to heaven but it's actually to bring salvation, healing, to the whole world, much bigger, by challenging the system of government, how the world was actually structured, how it worked, by offering and ushering an alternative kingdom, a, a huge sort of clash, which would reflect God's organizational system, God's dream, God's vision, God's passion for the world. And it had three main features, God's vision, passion for the world, which we heard in the Old Testament reading. Firstly, it would be a world of peace, where weapons are turned into agricultural implements. 
Nations beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, where nations shall not make war against nation anymore. Beautifully summed up in our opening song. I ain't going to study war no more, study war no more. I ain't going to study war no more. And it's interesting when we had the COP26 pilgrims, uh, uh, the dancing pilgrim, Gillian, when was asked, you know, what's at the heart of the problem? What's at the heart of the... And she said it was the military, very astutely, the military security complex. And one thing about yesterday that was clear in Glasgow is how all these issues are interrelated, how, how the climate issue is interrelated with migrant justice, with the uh, uh, military. It's all very, very interrelated. And there were groups from everywhere um, protesting. All sorts of uh, groups from all, all, with all different agendas coming together uh, in this. So it was a, in, under God a kingdom where there would be peace. Secondly, it's a world of distributive justice where everybody has enough of the fruits of, God earth, of God's earth. And the land was God's. It was grace. It, it was uh, given by God. Now, everyone should have justice, not as a result of charity, but as a product of justice. In other words, of, as a product of how the world is set up, how the world works, the world systems. Every family shall have their own land, their own vine, their own fig tree. In other words, they've got the capacity to provide for their own sustenance. And thirdly, it says, in such a world, no one will uh, make them afraid. There will be no threat of violence and oppression. This is the good news that Jesus came to bring. Nothing short of bringing a transformation of how the world operates so that all have agency, not charity, and enough for themselves and their children and can live in peace without fear. It really is a beautiful vision to aspire to, and clearly in direct opposition of what was happening at the time. So how, how does this relate to COP26 and yesterday? Well, frankly, the world, if you start digging deeper, is not too dissimilar to first century Palestine. Firstly, we live in a world of, of grotesque inequality. Whatever political persuasion you're in, you, you, I think you'd find it hard to disagree with that. Our beautiful planet offers a world of abundance, where one-third of the food in the world is wasted because it's not prof profitable to distribute. Simple as that. 30,000 people on average will die today in the world. Sorry, uh, from hunger and mal malnutrition. 80% of the world live on less than eight pounds a day and 50% on, on less than two pounds a day. And roughly the world is, 19% of which uh, is middle class. There's 1% of very rich people, 90% kind of uh, middle class of which we are all, all part of and 
the 80% really living in, in poverty. And Oxfam, I think in, in uh, a couple of years ago, and it's probably worse now, the top eight richest people have as much wealth as 50% of the world's population. I mean, it, that, that's just staggering. And I could give you statistic after statistic to show that, that inequality. Secondly, there's a small uh, global elite who benefit and have immense power. Peter Phillips, a sociology professor at Sonoma State University in California, his team, they've been following the money, uh, the investment capital. And usually when you follow the money, you, you, under, you get to the truth. And they estimate that about 200, maybe 300 people, control the world's wealth. In other words, the trans-capital class, they call it, in all that investment capital. And many of the CEOs, they include many of the CEOs of the seven biggest investment capital companies who own around $50 trillion of wealth. And these people not only influence, but in some cases control key policy uh, decisions that influence uh, governments and media organizations throughout and they're represented in groups like Davos, Atlantic Council, World Trade Organization, IMF, G7, etc., etc. All these key decision-making groups, they have people on there. And an example is that they've heavily invested in 100 companies that cause 70% of the CO2 emissions in the world. And now, because they've got this huge amount of investment capital, they're constantly looking at places to invest it in, finding places. And the new place is the weapons industry. And in order to uh, ensure the free flow of global capital investments, governments have been undermined, uh, grassroots movements uh, suppressed, whistleblowers quietened and huge amounts of money spent in armaments and the security industry. And it's all justified, really, by an ideology that I think is, is increasingly discredited now, um, of growth at any human and environmental cost, that there has to be a return on investments. And it's justified by the argument that the wealth will trickle down that the, this wealth generated will trickle down. Now, clearly, that is not true. So these are very broad strokes, but the similarities to first century Palestine are striking. And I believe that if Jesus was alive today, his primary concern and mission would be to bring God's kingdom, God's vision, and it would bring him into um, a, a collision course with this system uh, that is causing such inequality uh, in our lives. A system that benefits a very small uh, minority is characterized by exploitation and oppression, also with threats of violence, much more subtle maybe than the Roman Empire, but it is there, and a flawed ideology underpinning it. A number of the banners yesterday did say, not climate change, but system change because it is the system that underlines the crisis. And as I said, there is complexity in it. Um, it's complex understanding it. I've given very sort of broad 
uh, outlines, and maybe the answer comes with, from within the system. I think Mark Carney, who was the ex-Bank uh, of England, is pr proposing that uh, instead of, I think, the 50 billion that's, that's nowhere near enough to cause this transition, is actually proposing that the uh, banks in the, in the Western world put in trillions of pounds. Real hope. So it, it's complex. The answers are, and, and some of it may come within the system. But that same system has put uh, over the past 25 trillion into quantitative easing to set up the thing. So the money is available if they want. So Mark says in the gospel that the kingdom is near. And the word is notoriously difficult to pin down in the Greek, but has a sense that it's available now. One can enter it and be part of the process of bringing it about. So consequently, the kingdom of God asks for our individual transformation, our community's transformation. For we are the means of transformation in the world. And Jesus, our individual uh, Transformation. Jesus invites us to repent and believe the good news. And again, two words that I think are understood. Repentance in much tr uh, Christian tradition is associated primarily, primarily with sin and forgiveness. We are to be sorry for our sins, confess them, and re resolve not to continue committing them, thereby, thereby receiving God's forgiveness. And that's not a bad thing. It, it, it's a very good thing, and I've, I've seen it release people incredibly. But I'm not sure this is the meaning of repent in Judaism. It's primarily associated with the Jewish experience of exile. Repent means to return home from a place of exile. It also means to go beyond the limits of your, the mind that you have. The mind shaped by our culture, by our upbringing and convention and have a mind shaped by God, by God's dream, which is one that desires peace and justice. So to repent is to embark on a return to God by going beyond the mind we have. And never has this been so important regarding our planet, that we need to have our consciousness trained, uh, changed, our thinking transformed. And then the next step, I think, is to believe the good news. And again, the word believe uh, does not mean just accepting a set of statements or lists of beliefs, but rather to commit oneself, to give oneself to respond to the new vision of a different kind of world by being involved in bringing it about. And our service is filled with words about justice and peace and we may believe these statements implicitly, but if we believe in the way that Jesus wants us to believe, it involves acting on this belief as individuals and a community. And again, Mark makes it clear that the gospel is essentially about following the way. And Christians were called followers of the way. And our faith is unique in that the revelation of God is primarily through a person. Jesus provides us with the most accurate picture of what God is like in the Christian tradition. 
Jesus is called the image of God, the word of God, the light of the world. So Jesus embodies and reveals and discloses what God is like. Jesus shows us the way to follow God. And that way is bringing about the kingdom of God, God's dream into fruition. And it is a beautiful way, filled with purpose and meaning, but it is also costly. It is the way of the cross. And if we accept the invitation to follow Jesus, our calling is to be part of the process of, of bringing God's dream of a just, sustainable and peace, peaceful world into fruition. And that's why I think we need to demonstrate. That's why we need to have our voices heard. And that's why, as Christians, um, to be involved in what's going on, COP26, is, I think, central. Not, not a sort of uh, a sideline or a passion for the few, but is central to the gospel that we have uh, in the Bible. And my hope is that the church does continue, it is beginning uh, uh, that it regains its prophetic voice and joins the many that are outside the church um, embarking on this change that is happening. Yesterday in Glasgow, I really felt there was something about God's kingdom uh, being brought into the world. And there were many Christian voices there, which was great, but it was bigger than that. It was bigger than that. Uh, and that is my, my prayer, that the church really doesn't sort of uh, lag behind, but is part of that, bringing the kingdom of God, bringing a kingdom of peace, of distributive justice, um, and security to the, to the majority of our world, if not all our world. Amen. Let us pray. And the response in our prayers today is from our Old Testament reading. So when I say, teach us your ways, would you respond that we may walk in your paths? Teach us your ways that we may walk in your paths. Loving God, Today you offer us the challenge to be a part of bringing in the kingdom of God, to be active in seeking justice and peace, not just in our family, our school, our workplace, our community, not just here in Leith or even Scotland, but throughout the whole world. As our psalm today reminds us, trust in God at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Please help us to draw our strength from you as we seek to be people who bring your justice and peace to the world. Teach us your ways that we may walk 
in your paths. Loving God, thank you for COP26, for all that it's causing us to learn about climate change and how unequally its consequences are distributed around the world. Thank you that so many more people will now have heard and maybe start to understand what some of the issues are and what the range of options before us are as individuals and as a nation and as all the nations of the world. We pray for people living in the global south, for those whose lives are profoundly and increasingly affected by flooding and drought, for whom the future looks bleak. We ask for your forgiveness for the ways in which our own and our nation's actions have made and are making their situation worse. Please guide us each and together as to how we should act to restore your kingdom of justice and peace in the world. Teach us your ways, that we may walk in your paths. Loving God, we pray for young people throughout the world and bring their concerns for their future to you. We thank you for their activism in the face of governments and companies and systems, many of whom are so slow to respond. We ask for your forgiveness that we have not taken more care of this wonderful world for future generations. Please guide us each and together as to how we can support young people to bring your kingdoms justice and peace. Teach us your ways that we may walk in your paths. And we pray for ourselves, for your body here at St. James's, your hands and feet to act, and your voices to speak out against injustice and to bring peace. We pray that we and your people throughout the world would be open to what you may be calling us to.
teach us your ways, that we may walk in your paths. God shall judge between many peoples and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Amen. understand comfort, drink water and understand delight. Soon you will notice how stones shine underfoot. Eventually tides will be the only calendar you believe in and you will hear the air itself like a beloved whisper. Oh let me for a longer, a while longer enter the two beautiful bodies of your lungs. You have this day, and maybe another, and maybe still another. And what do I risk to tell you this, which is all I know? Love yourself, then forget it, then love the world. Amen. Amen.